Welcome to another edition of Now is the Time with Steve Bergson on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org. Now, here's Steve. All right, so here we go. Are you saved? Part three. Are you saved? Part three. Now, we're talking about the relationship between salvation, faith, and works. The relationship between salvation, faith, and works. Now, last time we spoke... Let's see if I can remember that far. Oh, wait a minute. It was yesterday. Um, last time we spoke, we were talking about this whole one saved, always saved thing. So we're going to kind of continue with that whole idea. But one of the things I want to bring up, and this may be real important for you to hear, because, and, and I'm not saying this because of anybody specifically saying anything, because this is generally what I get to hear, and I've kind of heard some murmurs from some people and stuff, is that people think as I go through these teachings that maybe I come down a little bit too hard on Christianity. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm not coming down hard enough. Amen. Not Christians, but the system. Because let me tell you something right now. The reason you have a problem is because you still have too much of it in you. It's a problem. It's messing with your thinking. It's messing with your perception. It's messing with your approach. It's messing with your halakha for sure. And it's like a cancer. If you don't get it all out... See, we're told to come out of for my people. By the way, that section of Revelation is talking about the church. I mean, that's actually talking about the mother of harlots and her daughters. Okay? Come out of for my people. Well, you know what? How about get her out of you, my people? It's, look, it's a system that has, um, all of my angst, everything I'm saying is about a system that, yes, you and many of, almost everybody you know and all your loved ones are, were either in it or are in it. I have nothing against them. I'm totally angry with a system that makes them think they're perfectly fine when they're not. Well, I shouldn't say that they're not because, Abba, remember we talked about opening the eyes and opening the ears and that kind of thing. But I mean, from the point of view of, they think they've got it all under control and have all the answers, but they're being lied to by giving half-truths, quarter-truths, even 90% truths. And so please... I'm not, if any of you thinks, well, this is because I said something, it isn't. It's because I heard like 15 people say something. Okay? So this isn't about you. But realize, I don't think I'm hard enough. The system that we read about in this book called Torah Observance, called Messianic Torah Observance Israel, this is all about believing in Messiah, being Torah Observance, being Israel, says to her that you should have no part in any other system. Even if the system is kind of, sort of, almost right. And you know what that's like. Are there not reasons why some of you, let's see, how many of you have gone to a quote-unquote messianic congregation and after going once said, what was that? Okay, did it look like Christianity with a talit maybe? Okay. And so you're trying to come out of that, or should be. But let me tell you, I do a lot of counseling. Robert does a lot of counseling too when people, when he takes the calls. And I will tell you that if we were to kind of compare notes, which we do often, I would say that 99%, that's not fair. Let's say 60% of the problem is Christianity stuff. The other 40 is human fleshly stuff. Okay? I mean, some of the stuff you call about is because husbands and wives are not getting along because they're just husbands and wives. It's just, Fleshly stuff. It has nothing to do with scripture or Christianity or Messianic Israel or anything. It just has to do with fleshly stuff. But the rest of it, the 60%, is all because people cannot get the place they were, mindset, thinking, and all of that, to adjust to what the book really does say. And, it's, and, and when we talk to people, if they're willing to let it go, it goes very smoothly. smoothly. If they're not, it doesn't go well at all. And people, and I try to tell them, that's the Christianity talking. And then they get offended with me. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry that I'm saying it to you. I'm sorry that you struggle with it. Because it's a problem. It's probably the biggest problem you have spiritually. More than just sin. is wrong thinking that you're actually doing things right when you're not. At least with sin, when you do it, you probably know you shouldn't be doing it. And that's usually not the problem there. You know that you shouldn't be doing it, but you struggle with the willpower and whatever it is that you need so that you can stop doing it. But you already know it's wrong to do. But it's the stuff that you 
kind of sort of know it's wrong, but you don't really want to kind of go all the way that way because the other side of you that was taught through the other system told you it was perfectly okay to go in that direction. So we talk about, are you saved? What do we talk about? Being brought out from under the burdens. Being delivered from the enslaving. Okay, remember those, th- those two parts? The redeeming was done for everybody at the same time. But those first two... You have to allow yourself to be brought out. Not partially out, three-quarters out, 90% out. You need to get out. Let it go. You can't be coming out like Jacob did and have Rachel walking around with her father's idols and carrying them with you. You have to come out of it. The salvation process is all about what he did freely and then what you do with that. Can we agree? Okay. But you're going to be challenged in your doing with that if you can't let go of where you came from. Remember Israel. Here's your example. And we're going to talk about this in a verse or two right here that we're going to get to. Remember Israel. Let's read the verse. You're going to see it right here. Jude, verse 5. Jude, verse 5. This is our first verse. Which is why I'm bringing this up. I'm not just bringing up this whole Christianity thing because... Just for no reason. Because it's actually the first verse we're going to deal with has to deal with a mindset. He says, in verse 5 of Jude, he says, But I intend to remind you, though you once knew this, that Yahweh, having saved a people out of the land of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Let's replace the word. Having saved the people out of Christianity and all false systems of belief, afterward destroyed those who still kind of wanted to be where they were. Because isn't that the problem? Oh, did you take us, Moses, out in the desert just to kill us? We had it so good back in the place we didn't want to be originally. Because after all, we had leaks. I've had leaks. I'm not impressed. Okay, but I'm just saying is, that's a mindset that's going to lead to, he destroyed them. Remember, them were saying, oh, why wouldn't you, why did you take us out of Egypt? We had it good there. We were fine. Really? You were slaves. So, why do I bring up the things that are coming out of the mainstream? Almost every teaching? To remind you why you left and that you should never go back. May you never be tempted to go back. Because that confusion will kill you just as much as anything else. By the same token, I don't want you crossing over the bridge into Judaism. Think of it as, as my friend Curtis likes to talk about the two riverbanks. Okay, Judaism on one side, sort of Christianity on the other side. But Yeshua's in the water in between the banks. Get in the water. <laughs> Get off the banks. You don't need to be in Judaism. You don't need to be in Christianity or the other thing. Be with Yeshua, keeping the Torah, believing in Messiah. The other stuff is going to get you in trouble. So don't just think, oh, he just has a thing against Christianity. Yes, I do. (laughs) You know why? It's almost every difficult conversation I have to have is because of it. I don't have difficult conversations with people that are not still holding on to that stuff. The reason this teaching ended up five parts is because there was a guy who was working with me at the time who was way too Christian. I didn't know it at the time. And when I taught this teaching, he flipped a cork. He just popped his cork. Flipped his lid, popped a cork. I got to get my metaphors right. Okay, but he did both. (laughs) Had a few cows too. Why? Because he was a once saved, always saved guy. He had never let that Christianity thing go. His hyper grace that he also had too allowed for him to justify working on Shabbats, working on holy days. If you didn't have that Christianity thinking, you would never, ever think that that was okay. You wouldn't. No Jew would think it's okay. Now you have a lot of non-observant Jews. I'm talking about an observant Jew who's trying to walk this out. Just like an observant Messianic who's got Christian problems. If you were a properly observant, Torah-observant Israelite, there would be no question when it came to Shabbat feasts, etc. The only reason there's a question is because you're still dealing with flesh and Christianity more than anything else. Because some of you didn't come from that, but not much. Almost all of you came out of that stuff. 
and it's messing with your head, and it's messing with your heart. Why? Because as you used to think, and as you were emotionally convicted and attached to it, you started doing things, your actions, and then what did it do? Habits. You have a habitual way of thinking that you were taught Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And you need to be set free from that. Now you feel like you've been coming out of her, my people, but you haven't gotten her out of you. (laughs) You know, we're supposed to not be dealing with Babylon. Okay? And weaning at the breast of Babylon. But some of you are still sitting there suckling along. And you don't understand why you're struggling. You got to let that go. You got to let that go. All right, so here it is in Jude. It's right there. It's the same thing. Can we agree it's the same thing? Okay, four, listen now. He said, I intend to remind you. Okay, now wait a minute. Why would he have to remind us? Because we need reminding. I intend to remind you, though you once knew this, but how, how easily we forget. That Yahweh, having saved the people out of, afterward destroyed because they didn't believe. I, I left out the Mitzrayim part because he delivered them out of but then destroyed them. Which ones? The ones that didn't actually get it out of them. They all were out of Egypt. Can we agree? He brought them all out. But some of them still had Egypt in them, didn't they? They didn't believe. What's believing? Fully, completely trusting in what he did and what he would do and what he promised to do. Didn't we have that in part one of this? We're defining our terms. Belief is accepting as true and having complete confidence in something. And so I'm sorry if it offends you. because You know what? Because you love all of your family members and friends that are in it. This has nothing to do with them. They're victims. Just like you were. Of a system meant to keep you enslaved without you knowing you're enslaved. To keep you in sin when you didn't know you were in sin. Okay? Let's be clear. What's the definition of sin? The transgression of the law. Is it likely you're keeping it if they tell you it was done away with? Is there any Christian group out there that doesn't teach the law was done away with? No. Most of them teach that it's wrong to do it. That I can't figure. How could anything Yahweh said was right, even if you think it's no longer necessary, like dispensationally, how could you now think it's wrong? But they preach this. And you want to defend this? This is something you want to defend? How can you do that? Because there's something in you. I tell you, it's like a cancer. If you don't get it all out, it's going to metastasize and spread everywhere. you got to root it all out. Some of you, I, I praise Abba for things that you said to me this week. Some of you came up to me and said, I've been doing this for 10 years, 30 years, whatever it is, and said, I thought I had all of that out, and I realized I didn't. I've had two or three of those conversations this week with people that have been doing this a long time, not new people, and said, you know, I thought I had gotten all of this out, but thank you for sharing and helping me to see that maybe I didn't. And that's going to be exposed, and that's part of the process. Look at Matthew 13, verse 36. I wasn't planning on doing what I just did, so that already killed 15 minutes. (laughs) Matthew 13. Look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry it offends you. I'm not sorry that I do what I do. Okay? I'm not trying to have you walk around going, well, that guy is so mean and he's so hard-hearted. How could I possibly be with this group? I'm sorry. My role is not to coddle you and tickle your ears and make you feel good. Go find a shepherd to do that. I'm not picking on shepherds, but that's kind of their job, to help you feel good, take care of you, and all that stuff in a right way. My job is more the prophet. I'm not claiming to be one, but it's the role of cry aloud, spare not. You ever read anything the prophet said? They weren't very nice guys in the way they worded things, were they? Did they sugarcoat things? No. And by the way, it wasn't even their words, was it? Yahweh is not so gentle as you want to make him out to be. You wait till we get to Isaiah and hear him call Israel a bunch of worms. Really, it's more like a maggot, like something that lives in dead things. We're not talking about like a pretty little earthworm or something. I don't know if they're pretty, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, we're talking about a maggot that lives in dead stuff. Because you might see an earthworm and it doesn't make you go, it's just a worm. Okay, great. But you see maggots, it gives you a whole different reaction. That's the word he used. 
That's Yahweh speaking. Why is he so strong about it? Because you know what? If you don't have somebody be strong and in your face, you're not going to do it. That's why he says, if you don't listen, I'm going to punish you. If you don't listen, I'm going to punish you seven times more. Well, that sounds like not just twice more, three times. No, seven times more. That's a pretty big leap. If you still don't do it, I'm going to punish you seven times more. And he says that a few times. Because this is life and death. If, you, if it's too hard and feels too, too in your face, you're always welcome to find someplace happy to lay down and die. Because that's the easy path. You could take the easy path. And you can enjoy this life whatever way you want. And that was it. So I hope you enjoyed it. Because that doesn't get any more. And so, this is, that's why I'm so strong. I want you to get in. I want you to understand the relationship between salvation that was offered to you and what your faith has to be strong enough so that you'll do the works. But not just the works that are half works, confused works, partial works. The Christianity in you makes you do that mess. It's what causes the problem. And so, yes, I'm going to label it as it needs to be labeled. If you have any confusion and you haven't listened to it, maybe you need to listen to it four or five times, go back and listen to Beware False Prophets. Because some of you still don't get it. If I only gave one message, that was it that you needed to hear. You need to know what that system called Christianity is being used for. And don't ever forget I've spoken to leaders of congregations. I said to them, please take this message and share it. Not mine. Take your own words and say it. Let them know what's happening. The deception that's been pulled over everybody's head for 2,000 years. The false replacement of Yeshua. If you don't know what I'm talking about on live stream, you need to go listen to the teaching. Thankfully, in some ways I guess it's thankfully, it's the most popular teaching of this. It's got like 60,000 views. But think about it. A cat video gets that in one day. How stupid is that? I need to have a cat behind me or something. You know, playing with a dog, it's been better, like riding on its back. Those are the best ones, right? And then maybe we can teach you Torah while we get five million views because it wants to see the cat. There's songs out there with like several billion views. Life-changing teaching... 300 views, 500 views, 1,000 views. That teaching's been out for a few years, 60,000 views. Sounds like a lot. It's not a lot. Not compared to any YouTubers out there that have any kind of volume of views. It's nothing. By the way, if you're watching, please hit the like button so that more people will get it to pop up on their sidebar and maybe they'll get to hear the same message that you got to hear. Because that's kind of how YouTube does things. They kind of gauge how popular things are by how many likes it gets. So it's not about me becoming popular. But if the likes are there and YouTube starts putting it on the... Some of you... How many of you actually saw us for the first time because it was on a sidebar? See, a few of you. Okay? You were looking at something else, looked over to the right to see what else was being suggested and said, that looks pretty interesting. We get more of you to hit the like button and to subscribe and those kind of things. We'll show up more on the sidebar. And maybe people can hear the message. Matthew 13 and verse 36. Then having sent the crowds away, Yeshua went into the house, and his taught ones came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the darnel of the field. And he answering said to them, He was sowing the good seed is the son of Adam. Remember when he was talking about the wheat and the tares and all that kind of stuff and how they grew up together, etc. He's going to explain that in here. Okay. He said, he was sowing the good seed as the son of Adam. He's talking about himself. And the field is the world. So he's sowing seed in the world. And the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. But the darnel or the tares are the sons of the wicked one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the messengers. As the darnel or tares then is gathered and burned in the fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. So by the way, you can see there that the tares are burned in the fire. It doesn't say that they're tortured there forever. Okay, they're burned in the fire. The son of Adam shall send out his messengers and they shall gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those doing lawlessness. Can you please realize that Christianity is a stumbling block at the minimum? Thinking like anything you were taught to think back then is a potential stumbling block. 
And you see how the stumbling blocks are being linked to what? Those doing lawlessness. Can we agree that Christianity teaches you to be lawless? I don't say they're teaching you to be horrible people. The world doesn't teach people to be horrible people. My, par- my parents keep nothing. And they taught me not to steal, not to kill, not to... They taught me how to be good in general. Most countries have legal laws in the country. That's the Ten Commandments plus some things. Of course, they don't keep Shabbat in that and other things. But they tell you it's wrong to commit adultery. That's illegal in most countries, right? Com- committing murder, stealing. These are things that you're not supposed to... Bearing false witness. And so... We're not talking about that. He says, but he's talking about, I'm going to gather out of the kingdom and remove those that are stumbling blocks and those that are doing lawlessness. And I'm going to throw them into the furnace of the fire as well. And they'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, who are the righteous? Those doing what's right. How do we know what right is? Well, whatever Yahweh says. So those doing what Yahweh says, can we admit that Christianity tells you that a whole lot of stuff Yahweh said is no longer important? I'm exaggerating here. Okay? The righteous shall, shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of, of their father. He who hears, excuse me, who has ear, ears to hear, let him hear. This is powerful and important stuff. Let's go to Matthew 5. It's not in my notes. I should write it in here. But I just got inspired to throw this in. In Matthew 5, in verse 18, it says, For truly I say to you, till the heaven and the earth pass away, one jot or tittle shall by no means pass in the Torah till all is done. And whoever then breaks one of the least of these commands, listen now, and teaches men to do so. Can we agree that Christianity teaches men to break the Torah? I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. He says, those who are breaking and teaching men to do so shall be called the least in the kingdom. Um, I didn't make this stuff up. It's in your book. Yeshua said it. Why can't we just accept that? If you are breaking or teaching people to break, the church has pork at every meal. <laughs> just about. Is that not teaching people to break? And don't forget your Christmas ham or your Easter whatever. They're not teaching people to break. Come and do your Easter egg hunt. That's paganism. That's breaking Torah. Why don't we get this? Because, ready? We think we're saved. And we think we were saved in that Christian church. And now you're thinking, oh, so I wasn't saved? Not the way you're thinking. If you understand that saved... Is what? Being preserved or delivered and protected from harm, blah, 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 and ruin? Yes, you probably were delivered from, well, let's put it this way. You absolutely, when you came into belief, even in that church system, the Christianity system, you came out of a certain level of ignorance. You learned some things. Not everything's wrong in the church. What makes it so bad is because not everything's wrong. So now you feel like you're in the right place. But now you're there, and so you have this idea that you know what? I did, you may, some of you did not know there was a Messiah until you came into Christianity. See, you were ignorant of something. They taught you it. That's good. Excuse me, that was pretty good. And you learned that there were certain things to do or don't. And you had to, to change your heart and to start loving people. I mean, a lot of, listen, a lot of Christians do a better job of loving people than we do. And some of you are thinking, that's why I got mad the way you teach. When, this is teaching. This is not how I teach. Think about the difference. Some of you got to have sat with me. Do I treat you like this when I sit with you? No. This is to wake up the group as a crowd, as a whole group. You get a different level of love, patience, compassion, etc., the one-on-one. I don't bend or yield on the one-on-one, but it's packaged a little nicer. I don't have time for the little nicer from up here because this is the wake-up call time. Okay, this is, you know, give everybody a good sharp poke and make sure they're awake. And so he says here, whoever then breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches men so shall be called the least. That's the lowest thing there is. Now I'm not saying that about the people in the system called Christianity. The system is a part of this problem right here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19. If that's not enough for you, let's go to Ezekiel 22. Let's begin in verse 25. Remember, you, where did you learn that you were saved? In a church. 
<laughs> now, let's face it. You were delivered, some of you, out from under the burdens of addictions, bad lifestyles, even a cult, or whatever it was through the church system. That's all good stuff. So don't tell me that I'm... Don't, don't, don't accuse me of not saying you weren't saved on some levels when you were in church. But we're going to see in this teaching, if we can get there today or the next part, that Israel was saved out of Egypt, yes? Were they done being saved? Well, as soon as they came out of Egypt, they were almost right away saved again at the sea, weren't they? And then they needed it again and again and again and again. So the problem is that Christianity has taught you this idea of saved as a status. Are you, is your status saved or unsaved? It's not a status. It's something that either happened to you or didn't happen to you based on something that you needed to be delivered and saved from or preserved from. There's an ultimate thing that's called salvation that was provided to everybody at the same time. But just because it was provided, did it keep you out of drugs? No. Or alcohol? No. Sexual stuff? No. Whatever it was you were doing, did it keep you from any of that? No. He died and yet you still ended up in all that stuff. So you needed still to be delivered or saved out of those things, didn't you? So salvation wasn't for that. Salvation is so that you ultimately will have, to, will have the ability, the opportunity to avoid the second death. The death of that fire. The death that doesn't come back. The, all those other ones, those are deliverances out of different things that you need to be delivered out of. It's part of the process, right? We talk about he brought you out and then delivered you, right? The first two cups, the sanctification and the deliverance. Ezekiel 22, verse 25. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst, like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured life. They have taken wealth and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Now, whoever this is talking about is explained in verse 26. Her priests have done violence to my teaching. Does that sound like Christianity to you? This is Ezekiel writing. And they profane my set-apart things. Does that sound like Christianity to you? They have not distinguished, now we're going to be really clear, between that which is set-apart or kadosh and that which is profane. Could there be anything that fits more like a glove than that for Christianity? Nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean as they sit there with the pork chop in their mouth. Drinking the shrimp cocktail or whatever they're doing. Do you drink a shrimp cocktail? I mean, that's kind of... First time I heard that term, I was like, what do they do, make a cocktail out of shrimp? What Stick that in your Vitamix and ruin it. I don't know. Okay. But they don't separate the unclean from the clean. How can you separate the unclean from the clean by saying the law was done away with? What tells you what's clean and unclean? The law. It's written in where? The law. The Torah. Listen now. And they, whoever this is that Ezekiel's talking about, and by the way, he's talking about some people in his day as well. But man, does this describe Christianity pretty straight on. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths. Do they keep the Saturday Sabbath? No. Do they keep the Holy Day Sabbaths? No. I went up to a priest one time in, um, in college. We had, a, we had a club that we had in one of these buildings. Like, just guys who were goofing off. We had a club. And there was a, a, a Newman Center, which I think was a Methodist or Episcopal, whatever it was. It was Catholic? Okay, so it was a Catholic thing across from, from where we were. That's right, because it was Father Brown. Or, uh, typical, it was Father Brown. <laughs> How unusual, right? And he came in because my friend and I were like, I don't know, wrestling on the floor, beating each other up or something, just having a goofing off fun. And being a good college priest, he came over, went on the ground and hit the ground. One, two, three, you're out. You know, he was just goofing with us. But in a conversation we had with him, we said, come on, Father Brown, you can admit it. You guys blew it on that Shabbat thing. And he said, eh, nobody's perfect. They know. They know. Especially the Catholics, because they're the ones who did it. And by the way, shame on every Protestant group out there for calling themselves a Protestant. What are you protesting? You're still sitting there suckling at the, 
You know, because why would you do Sunday if you're protesting? That's purely a Catholic move. And every one of you still doing Sunday, Christmas, Easter, and everything else that the Catholic Church gave you. So what are you protesting? You just don't like the Pope? Is that the one thing? I don't get that. So listen, so here, they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned in their midst. Can you understand that no matter what you think good works and everything else are going on on Sunday and in the churches, Abba is being profaned. Because, let me tell you why, the, why he's being profaned. It's coming up. Two more verses. Her leaders in the midst are like wolves tearing the prey, to shed blood, to destroy lives, to get greedy gain. Just send in your $1,000 seed, and we'll send you this anointed hanky. Here, I know. I got it. Wait, wait. We'll send you a silver coin. It's anointed. And, uh, well, those aren't, those aren't $1,000. Okay. But they do, right? Get this little anointed oil or anointed this or anointed cloth or anointed this or whatever it is. And by the way, I've never seen prophets in my life as insightful as the one who goes, I feel it right now. God is telling me one of you out there has a marriage problem. You're a genius. How did you get that? Wait, 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 brothers and sisters. I know someone out there has got back pain. That was amazing. And what's more amazing, somebody home goes, how did he know? We are stupid people. And Paul knew that. He said to the Galatians, you foolish, stupid Galatians. We are. We are so dumb and gullible. All of us. We fall for such dumb things. And you sit there going, how did he know? Oh, brothers and sisters, I know somebody needs a new job. What are the odds? <laughs> I mean, they never say something where it's like probably one person on the planet has whatever he just said. Okay? It's always something he can't miss. So listen to verse 28. And her so-called prophets have coated them, the people with a whitewash, seeing a false vision... And divining a lie for them saying, ready now? Thus said the master Yahweh, when Yahweh had not spoken. Am I making this stuff up? So please forgive me when I tell the truth about the system that is messing your whole walk up. It's the problem. And the biggest problem is they told you you were saved. That's why I did this teaching so early in the ministry. There's nothing more disempowering than thinking you've arrived. <laughs> than thinking it's all done. And they're saying that Yahweh said, how many times did they come into these teachings and these telecasts and these broadcasts saying, God told me to tell you. Anybody heard that once or 10,000 times? You will never hear me tell you that. Unless I say, well, God told me to tell you. And then I'll read what he said. There it is. That's what he told me to tell you. I'm not getting special private messages. And by the way, neither are they. And if they are, it's not coming from him. Not when they're divining a lie in a whitewash and saying he said something he didn't say. How do you know he didn't say it? If it doesn't line up with what he already said. Amen. Can we understand? We talked about this with leaven. Leaven is what? Hypocrisy. If Yahweh told me something to tell you that didn't match what he already said, that would be what? Hypocrisy. It would also be a problem when it says, I am Yahweh, I change not. we got some problems with some of the things people are saying when it conflicts with what he already said. Can we understand this? See what happens when I get an extra hour of sleep? I should have warned you. That's why I skipped breakfast. I haven't eaten anything yet. Imagine if I had some food. Okay. Okay, uh, this is making sense now. Are you starting to get it? And it fits into the are you saved part because there are some believers out there who are not as saved as they think they are. As a matter of fact, I have a problem with that whole believer thing. I, I get so frustrated. You'll all come up to me and say, well, my friend so-and-so is a believer and blah, blah, blah. And then they'll say, but he's in Christianity. Yeah, he believes something, but he doesn't believe this. So why do we use the term believer? What does that mean anyway? Well, it means that they are in. Well, not if they're not actually keeping the covenant. I'd rather use the term covenanted. You know, my friend so-and-so is covenanted. He has agreed to do his best to do what Yahweh says. 
Okay? Believer means they believe in Yeshua or Jesus or whatever name they were using back wherever they became, and they believe He is the Messiah and that He died and was resurrected, etc. That's all they think that term means. But guess what? Watch this. Because not all believers are saved to the thing. Actually, not all believers are believers. Let's go to Luke chapter 13. This is also in Matthew. We're going to read the one in Luke. Okay, Luke 13. And in verse 22. Because when I say we're not as saved as you think you are, well, look about them in Jude when Jude said that Yahweh having saved the people, then he afterwards destroyed them. Did he destroy them just because he changed his mind or just didn't like them or something? Why did he destroy those he destroyed who came out of Egypt? They didn't obey. They broke the covenant. It's purely about obedience. Yahweh said, go into the land. And they said, we're scared. We're not going. They didn't believe as much as they thought they did, did they? So he laid them low in the desert, as it says. Where am I? Luke 13, verse 22. And he was going through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Master, are there few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, because many, I say to you, shall seek to enter in and shall not be able. Okay, hold on a second. Let's just stop right there. He said, are there many who are being saved? Well, salvation was already made available to everyone at the same time. So what is he talking about? Being delivered or preserved for future use of some sort, being protected from harm or ruin. That's a good definition for here. He's not saying, are there anyone, uh, many who are just like, have a permanent status. Aren't they lucky? Actually, they're not lucky. They just have to make an altar call, apparently. And why, by the way, why isn't everybody Christian? It seems like that would be the easiest thing to do. You go in, make an altar call, got your, you know, get out of hell free card and whatever it is you need, and that's it. They hand you an asbestos suit or whatever you need, you know. That's what they really should be handing them. <laughs> You might need that when you get thrown in that fire. I don't know. I should have warned you. Okay. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Because many, I say to you, shall seek to enter in and not be able. Why won't they be able? I think it's because they won't be willing to let go of what they want and how they want it to be. Get off that self-sovereign seat. But I don't want to, but I don't like, but I want to do this. Why can't I do that? That's not fair. Blah, blah, blah. Knock it off. (laughs) It's not going to get you through that narrow gate. He says, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Master, Master, open for us, and he shall answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? I do not know you. I don't know where you're from. Notice he says, well, I don't know where you're from. Well, you aren't in this group. (laughs) Where were you from? And then they shall begin to say, but we ate and drank in your presence. You taught us in, in our streets. And he shall say, I say to you, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. I don't know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, what? All you workers of unrighteousness. So can we think and agree that these are people that say, Master, Master, open for us. We ate and drank in your presence, blah, blah, blah. Do you think these people thought they were saved? Absolutely they did. And what did he say? No, you were doing unrighteousness. In other words, you were breaking the law. You thought you had a relationship with me, right? He says, I didn't know you. I don't know you. Do you really think the person, you know, if it's Yeshua doing this, right? This is him speaking. He's the, the one being described here. Do you think he doesn't know anybody on the planet? Like who they are? He knows everybody. He doesn't have a relationship with everybody. You have to choose to have that relationship. He draws you. Well, the Father draws people to him. And then you choose to have a relationship or not. So here these are. These are people who think, oh, I'm saved. I'm in. And they're shocked. They're knocking and he won't open the door for them. Then he finally opens it up and goes, what do you want? <laughs> who are you? Oh, but we ate and drank in your presence. We don't. In other words, we did these things right in Matthew. He says, we did these things in these you know, miracles and signs and wonders in your name. And he says, get away from me, you workers of lawlessness, totallessness. You didn't keep 
the covenant. It's that relationship between salvation, faith, and works that's all about the covenant. Okay? We covenant because we believe he will give us that salvation. We covenant because we believe that that salvation, if we do the works part that we covenanted to agree, right, what you say I'll do, will all work out to the forever and the eternal life and all that good stuff. So what he's saying is, look, I don't have a covenant with you. You have not chosen. He says, I don't know where you're from, but you know what? It's kind of like this. I might run into somebody next week and they'll tell me, oh, I ate and drank and was with you at Passover. I said, I don't know where you're from, but I didn't see you. You weren't here. Oh, but you were in church on Sunday. Yeah, but you weren't where I am on Saturday. Oh, well, you kept Easter somewhere. Yeah, but I was doing Passover. That's what Yeshua was going to say. Where were you? I was at Sukkot. Oh, well, I was getting ready for Christmas. Or I was doing Halloween. Your churches do Halloween. Wake up. Oh, no, they don't. They call it a fall festival. Nonsense. (laughs) You know what to call that when you used to use different language. It is just total everlasting you know what. They're trying to just put a spin on they want to do Halloween. Look, we rented a space in a church in Nashville. And it was Saturday was also Halloween. And so we had a space in an auditorium. It was actually more like a school because we were like in an auditorium. And there was a stage and everything. And they were having their fall festival. And they had a little fire outside the building in the parking lot. And they were jumping up and down in suits and skulls and everything else like demons around a fire. Good job. It wasn't Halloween. It was a fall festival. Please somebody tell me the difference except the title. There is no difference. Except the label. They realized some people didn't like the label, so they relabeled it. But we're keeping the Saturnalia. Well, nobody likes that label. Okay, we'll call it Christmas. (laughs) They just relabeled it. It's okay. Well, Yahweh said keep Passover. Well, we got this fertility Ishtar thing that we do at the same time. Okay, let's call it Easter. And you wonder why I have a problem with them. Well, apparently, you can see we have some problems here as well. It's those that think and are taught and we're convinced that we're in the right place, in the right relationship with the right one. By the way, they came to the right one, didn't they? I mean, they knew what door to knock on. And he was there and he opened the door, but they were wrong about what they had been doing, thinking it was putting them in relationship. Hopefully we're receiving this. Do you, do you, do you not want to understand? I mean, do you want to be these guys? <laughs> no. I don't want to be one of these guys who th- thinks I've got it all worked out and I'm in the right place, only to find out he's going to say, I don't know you. Okay, Exodus 14. Exodus 14 and verse 29. And here I was worried I didn't have enough stuff for today. Yeah. I should know better. Okay, Exodus 14 and in verse 29. So this section I'm dealing with is showing you how Yahweh saved them over and over and over. You need to hear this because, why? Because you are taught that once saved is always saved. Oh, but that was the Old Testament. Yahweh doesn't change. If you see it happening there, it's happening in the New also. It's happening all the time. Okay? Exodus 14, verse 29. And the children of Israel walked on the dry ground, right? After they came through the waters. Okay, this is after the the splitting of the sea. They came through on the dry ground in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus Yahweh saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Mitzrites. And Israel saw the Mitzrites dead on the seashore. Now, I don't have the verses here in the teaching today. But after this event, after this event... The Mitzrites are dead on the seashore. Yahweh did what he did with the plagues in Egypt. He just parted the sea. We're still going to hear them whine and complain and say, why did you take us out of here just to die in the desert? We're hungry. We're thirsty. Blah, blah, blah. We had leaks. (laughs) I think, you know what happens? Our brains have leaks. (laughs) Our belief system has leaks. The strength and courage of our convictions in our heart has leaks. (laughs) But this is what's happening. We talk so good, then what happens? Somehow it all leaks out. 
<laughs> so he saved them. Right here he saved them in Exodus uh, 14. Let's go to Deuteronomy 20. And I could have picked literally dozens and dozens of these, but I picked just a few. Okay, Exodus 20. I mean, excuse me, Deuteronomy 20. I was turning to the right place. And verse 1. When you go out to battle against your enemies and shall see horses and chariots, can we agree that this verse is talking about a time after they came out of the parting of the sea? Okay. So when you're going out to battle against your enemies and shall see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. Why? For Yahweh your Elohim, who did what? He saved you or brought you up from, remember the sanctification brought you out? From the land of Mitzrayim is with you. In other words, stop thinking like a slave. And it shall be when you draw near to the battle that the priest shall come and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Yisrael, Shema Yisrael, you are drawing near today to battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint, do not fear or tremble, or be afraid before them. For Yahweh your Elohim is he who goes before you, excuse me, who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. So is this because they were only going to have one battle ever? Don't worry, when you have that one battle, Yahweh's going to save you because you only need to be saved once. But Yahweh's going to save you. Deuteronomy 33, verse 29. I'm going to hit a few of these pretty quickly, some single verse things. Deuteronomy 33. And in verse 29. Blessed are you, O Yisrael, who is like you. Who is like you, a people saved by Yahweh. The shield of your help and he who is the sword of your excellency. And your enemies are subdued for you and you tread down their high places. Wow. Does he do that for everybody? He says, no, he does that for Israel. Now here's the cool part. Anybody and everybody can become part of Israel. They simply have to covenant. What's the covenant? Agree to do everything he says. And do it with all your heart, might, and being. Isaiah 41, and verse 14. Yeshayahu, Isaiah 41. Now, by the way, these next two verses I'm going to read to you are part of the reason why some of your close friends have ended up in Judaism. And the reason is... They can't figure out how to answer this problem in these verses here. This is, these two verses I'm going to read to you are part of the reason why they end up in Judaism. They have no way to answer these verses. Okay, so in chapter 41, verse 14. Uh-oh. I, warning to all you very sensitive Christian types. Yahweh's about to be mean. <laughs> Do not fear, you worm, Jacob. There's that maggot thing right there. Look up the Hebrew, you'll see. You men of Israel, <laughs> he's like, don't, don't fear, you worm, you spineless men. I shall help you, declares Yahweh, and your Redeemer, the set-apart one of Israel. Now bear in mind, the previous verse, look what he says. For I, Yahweh, am holding your right hand. He's hold, like, we hold, like a little child. Don't worry, sweetheart, I got you. I've got you. I'm holding your hand. You're okay. And in spite of that, and he says, do not fear, I'm going to help you. But what do they do? They do what we all do. We look to our own strength, other people's strengths. We counsel, we counsel with all the wrong people. Usually people with the same problem we have or worse. Try trying to find somebody that actually knows what to help you with and not the person suffering the same nonsense you're suffering with. And go have a pity party. Okay, so here it says that Yahweh is the Redeemer. But we told that Yeshua is a Redeemer. That's why you need the Father and Son teaching. If the people who left could have embraced that teaching, they never would have left. They can't seem to reconcile these type of verses. It gets even more in chapter 43. Let's go there. Chapter 43, verse 11. I, I am Yahweh, and besides me, there is no Savior. Well, there it is. Okay, throw the whole New Testament out. Yahweh's the Savior. There's nobody else. But I want us to see something immediately after this. Okay, he says, I, I am Yahweh, there's no Savior. Well, it's not after this. We're going to go back to the book of Judges. I am Yahweh, there's no other Savior. Okay, go to Judges chapter 2. I think we can fit this in. Show of team, Judges chapter 2. There's a book we don't end up very often, right? We don't end up here. Chapter 2 and verse 16. 
Then Yahweh raised up rulers who saved them from the hand of those who plundered them. I thought Yahweh was the only Savior. Well, he's got lots of way to do it. Yahweh raised up rulers who saved them. Who was still the Savior? Yahweh, not the ruler. Was the ruler the Savior? No. Yahweh was the Savior. But he used rulers to do it. He said, Yahweh raised up rulers for them. Verse 16, right? Who saved them from the hand of those who plundered them. However, what? They didn't listen. They did not listen to their rulers either, but went whoring after other mighty ones and bowed down to them, and they soon turned away from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commands of Yahweh. Their fathers, who were doing things right, did what? They walked in the way of what? Obeying the commands of Yahweh. But this group did not do so. Let's get back to our friends in Christianity, the system, not the people. Aren't they doing the same thing here? Okay, they're not doing like the fathers who walked in obedience to the commands of Yahweh. They're actually telling you there, that was for other people. You don't need to do this stuff. That's not for you. Worse than that, I think they put like coals of fire on their heads when they say, well, you know, trying to keep the commands, you know what that does? That shows that you're making a mockery of the death of Messiah. Do you think Messiah likes hearing that? Obedience is what he wants to hear. You know what disobedience is? And using his death as an excuse? That's shame. To use his death as an You want to make a mockery of his death? Break the commands. He died because you were breaking the commands. So keep breaking them is the answer? Well, you know, really, it's that hideous, burdensome, terrible thing called the Torah, that law stuff. And, you know, we just wipe that out, it fixes everything. Really? You ever read Psalm 119? Anybody know of a guy named David? You know, he used to play a harp. Pretty good soldier, too. Great king. In that psalm, I, you, you know what? You probably have never read anybody describe anything as impressively, as desired, as loved as he describes the Torah in that psalm. I don't think anybody's ever written poetry about a woman or a man or a, anything. Like he described how he feels about the law and about his creator who gave it to him. I mean, that is a love song right there of a man with the, with the covenant. Oh, no, it's burdensome and terrible and you shouldn't need to do that stuff. <laughs> don't do that terrible thing. Let's see, verse 18. And when Yahweh raised up rulers for them, Yahweh was with the ruler and saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the ruler. For Yahweh had compassion on their groaning because of those who oppressed them and crushed them. So notice this, he says, Yahweh was with the ruler and saved them. See, Yahweh was still the Savior. If it makes you feel better to think of Yahweh as the Father and Yeshua as the Son that way, this Yahweh here, I don't think that's the case. I think this Yahweh here is still the Son. I don't think the Father's been here. But even if we go that other way, then you could say, oh, then Yeshua is just like this. He's the Son sent by the Father who's still the Savior. But utilizing Yeshua to be that Savior. So you can still work that through. Of course, this being Yeshua makes it even simpler. There still is only one Savior. Yeshua never refers to his Father as Savior. His Father utilizes Yeshua as Savior. Okay? 19, verse 19, And it came to be when the ruler was dead that they would then turn back and do more corruptly than their fathers to go after other mighty ones, to serve them and bow down to them. They did not refrain from their practices and from their stubborn way. Is this not like what we see today? You see like a heavy-handed place like the Soviet Union used to be. Go and take over a lot of countries where there was all kinds of internal strife. And then when they left, guess what popped right back up? All that internal strife. You see what goes on in Eastern Europe? It wasn't going on for that period of time when they had a heavy-handed person in there going, this isn't acceptable. That's not to say their life wasn't already bad with them also ruling. But that stuff wasn't going on. As soon as the ruler disappeared... But see, we're now in a place where Yeshua is not here with his rod of iron. We have his word. We have the spirit. And then yet, when we're back on that throne, we do whatever we want. 
When we let him be on the throne, we listen and do. We shema, we hear and do. Who's on the throne? Who are you allowing to be on that throne? Because it's talking about rulers here. Who's ruling in your life? Who's ruling in your life? Verse 20. So when they went this bad way, the displeasure of Yahweh burned against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed, what did they transgress? My covenant. What is the covenant? You will do everything I say and I'll take you as my people. That's the covenant. Well, you know we're under the new covenant now. (laughs) We'll deal with that. It's a renewing of the same covenant. Yahweh doesn't change. Yeshua says, if you love me, what kind of love? Deuteronomy 6, right? You are to love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart. Same Yahweh saying, if you love me, guard and keep my covenant, my commandments. There's not a new covenant. It's new by the point of the fact that the old one got broken. When you break one, guess what you need? A new one. If you and I have a deal and one of us breaks the contract, guess what we're going to need if we want to do something again? A new contract. But it's not that the new contract is completely different terms or anything else. The terms are the same. What are the terms? You listen and do, and I will accept you as my people. You trust that what I tell you to listen and do is going to do what I say it will do. It's going to keep you safe. It's going to bless you. I also feel, and I'll say, I can't, I can't point to a verse that says this, but I think it's the thing that transforms you into what he is. Because he says, imitate me, follow me, be like me. And what did he do? He kept all the Torah. So that's where I get that from. Okay, so. In verse uh, 20. So he says, look, because this nation has transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers. And in case we were confused, what does he say? And has not obeyed my voice, which is the covenant. That's the covenant he made with their fathers. I also shall no longer drive out before them any of the uh, nations, which Joshua, Yahushua left when he died. In order to test, try, etc., Israel by them. Whether they would guard the way of Yahweh to walk in them as their fathers guarded them or not. Ah, that's Deuteronomy 8 too, all over again. So Yahweh left those nations without driving them out at once and did not give them into the hand of Yahushua. Look at what's going on. It's all about the same thing we can talk about. We talk about deliverance and saving. They needed saving. They needed saving. He would give them saviors. As soon as that particular savior wasn't there... The ruler that he was utilizing to work through, they went off and did whatever. And worse than the previous time. Unbelievable. In Judges chapter 3 and verse 9, I'll just give you an example where he talks about the saviors. And when the children of Israel cried out to Yahweh, Yahweh raised up a savior for the children of Israel who saved them. In this case, it was Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Look at verse 15. And when the children of Israel cried out to Yahweh, Yahweh raised up a savior for them, Echud, son of Gerah, a Benjamite. So he's giving an example of how he did exactly what he said in chapter 2 he would do, or had done. He shows you those situations. Let's go to chapter 10. See, if this will be the last thing we do if I can squeeze it in real quick. Chapter 10, verse 6. We're still in Judges. Chapter 10, verse 6. And the children of Israel again did evil in the eyes of Yahweh and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths and the mighty ones of Aram and the mighty ones of Sidon and the mighty ones of Moab and the mighty ones of the children of Ammon and the mighty ones of the Philistines and forsook Yahweh and did not serve him. Remember Deuteronomy ten twelve includes serving him. And now Israel, what's Yahweh want of you? To, walk, excuse me, to fear him, walk in his ways, love him and serve him and guard the commands. So they were breaking Deuteronomy ten twelve. Okay, therefore the displeasure of Yahweh burned against Israel and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon and they crushed and oppressed the children of Israel that year for for 18 years. All the children of Israel who were beyond the Arden in the land of the Amorites in Gilad and the children of Ammon passed over the Arden to fight against Yehuda and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim so that Israel had great distress. 
And the children of Israel cried out to Yahweh saying, the children of Israel cried out to Yahweh saying, we have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our Elohim and served the Baals. So Yahweh said to the children of Israel, was it not from the Mitzrites and from the Amorites and from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines that I saved you? See, they had saved, been saved before. They weren't once saved, always saved. He said, and the Sidonians and Amalek and Moan oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you from their hand. But you, you have forsaken me and have served other mighty ones. Listen now. Therefore, I do not save you again. Whoa. Go and cry out to the mighty ones which you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. Go give that piece of stone a try. See what happens. And the children of Israel said to Yahweh, We have sinned. Do to us whatever is good in your eyes. Only deliver us today, please. So they put away the foreign mighty ones from their midst and served Yahweh. And his being was grieved with the trouble of Israel. And it goes on and on. But you see, they got to a point where he says, I'm not saving you anymore. Well, there you go. Back to dispensation. Israel blew it. It's now about us. Israel blew it. It's now about us. Hosea 1. We're going to squeeze this in really fast because I have to make this point before we close. So in case your dispensational thoughts... Okay, it's Hosea Joel Amos, in case you're trying to figure out where it is. Right after Daniel, if you're in the Scriptures anyway. Okay, Hosea chapter 1, verse 6. And she conceived again. This is uh, Hosea's wife. Conceived again and bore a daughter. And he said to call... Uh, and bore a daughter. He said to, uh, to him to call her... Lo ruchama, for no longer do I have compassion on the house of Israel, so as to forgive them at all. Lo ruchama, no mercy, no compassion. Doesn't that match up with what we just read in Judges? Oh, see you go. They blew it. They're done. But I shall have compassion, he says. Oh, wait a minute. On the house of Yehuda and save them by Yahweh, their Elohim, and not save them by bow or by sword or horses, etc., and she weaned Lodochama, and she conceived the boy's son. And he said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not for you. See, they blew it again. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which is not measured nor counted, and it shall be in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they shall be called, You are the sons of the living El. Did you catch that? Did you follow that? Verse 11. And the children of Yehuda and the children of Israel ga- shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head and shall come up out of the earth for great is the day of Israel. Great is the day of Israel. So we're going to close with that to say this. Yes, he says in places, you're not my people. Some parents have looked away from their child and said, that's not my kid. <laughs> My mother did that to me in a supermarket. I was throwing some fit or tantrum or something at two. She tells me this story. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, I walked around going, I don't know whose kid this is. <laughs> Not mine. But we need to see that when he says that, that doesn't mean they're done. It means that particular group of them is done. But we're also going to see in part four, as we're going to be up to yes, in part four of this, that he has a plan And he shared that plan with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he promised them. We're not going to read all the parts where he did talk to them, but he's going to refer back to the fact that he promised them this future for the descendants. So ultimately, he's obligated himself to that working out. Of course, he's not obligated to how long it takes, and he's very patient. Time and space don't mean the same thing to him as it does to us. So he's very willing to tell a group of us, in a generation of us, you're not the ones. Because you're not listening, and I'm done saving you. Have a nice life while you can. You're on your own. Go pray to those rocks and stones and wood and whatever. But he says, yet, in the same place where I said you're not my people, it will be said, I will say, you are the children of the living Elohim. At some point in the future... So the people will always have a remnant to keep the thing, keep that little spark going so that that fulfillment could happen. And we're going to learn a whole lot more about that in part four. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, King, Father, we come before you. And Father, we know that this is tough stuff. And also, Father, we know that you called me as an instrument and I'm not the softest, gentlest guy in the world. So please 
cushion the ears a little bit of the people or have their hearts to receive that this is only because you love them and you're using me to love them in a, a very strong and wake-up sort of way. Because, Father, that's the way you speak in your word, too. We want, and I want as you want, all to make it. And so, Father, this word is hard, but also it's needed. And if we really were to think about it, there's no doubt that it's true. So help us to embrace what you have us to understand about being saved, how salvation works, about where faith plays into it, how our actions, our works play into it, and the relationship between them. And help us to see what it really means to come out of for my people and to have the thing that we're coming out of also come out of us. So we don't just bring it with us. Father, we thank you for the word that we can finish with knowing that in the same place where we may have felt abandoned or discarded or shut off, that in the future there's a time when you will again embrace us and say, this is my people. These are the children of the living Elohim. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all glory and all honor. In the name of our Messiah, Yeshua, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Now is the Time with Steve Berkson here on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time Radio is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org.